0: Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to the sixth episode of Tudoriferous, the fortnightly biographical podcast that examines the lives in the Tudor era. And today,
1: Arthur, Prince of Wales. But first, but first. But first. But first. The quiz. It's the quiz. Yeah, someone on Facebook described the quiz as fun and evil at <laughs> <laughs> the same equal measure. <laughs> I was just thinking, well, Eric, I don't know where you get the idea that it's fun.
0: <laughs> it's more
2: evil than fun.
0: It's I'm not sure pure why we decided. Evil. To, we tortured ourselves here.
3: Quiz.
1: OK. Right. OK. It's all about Edward, Earl of Warwick. Mm-hmm. So, question one. Mm-hmm. On the death of Edward's parents,
0: who was given the wardship of the boy ooh so this is kind of tricky first was margaret beaufort and then apparently his wardship was moved oh wait are we going way back before henry so that would have been richard yeah.
1: no before that really <laughs> mhm well, i don't know then thomas gray marcus of dorset Oh. is uh, elizabeth woodfield's eldest son right. he 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 paid 2000 quid for him
0: right yeah, and That's he the got the marriage one? rights. Oh, yes. I am doing well right out of the gate. That's <laughs> try number two.
1: Well, you get this one.
0: Well, oh, I shouldn't have said that, because
1: if you don't, you'd be <laughs> awful. <laughs> to whom did Edward's sister, Margaret Pole, become lady-in-waiting? Anne Neville.
0: No. What?
1: Catherine of Aragon.
0: Oh, well, yes, but she was also lady-in-waiting to anne neville wasn't she when richard was queen so we could go with both maybe we should start saying maybe we should start saying prior to henry (laughs) 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 who did they yeah i'll give
1: you that then um yeah that was a badly worded question (laughs) at the start of uh, number three at the start of the conspiracy to release edward from the tower one of the conspirators had a dream what did he dream about
0: Ah, oh, the bear and ragged staff, but doing something specific.
1: I don't remember. <laughs> You're asking questions
0: that are so obscure.
1: That's fine. you you got the bear. I think that's fine. Now he's standing in the street, rattling its chains, which right. is quite, a, quite an image, isn't and it? And that
0: doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound like, oh, hey, they're going to get away.
1: No, it doesn't. And also, no, I don't want to see a bear in chains. Four. Number four. Astwood the head conspirator, was waiting until Henry VII reached a certain place on his progression before he acted. Where?
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> the farthest away from London, so they had most of a chance.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I remember our whole conversation about how this wasn't really intrigued because he he published his progress. That's but I right. I can't remember the life of me where specifically. Oh. It's, it was uh, the Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight.
1: Which he (laughs) probably is.
0: (laughs) Right off of England. He was no longer in the island. (laughs) Darn it.
1: I know people are a bit sniffy about the Isle of Wight. They say it's really old-fashioned and a bit smug,
0: but I really like it. It's really lovely. Anyway. Isn't there a a particular motorcycle race that happens there every year? No, that's the Isle of Man. Oh, that's
1: the Isle of Man. Okay. The TT race. Yeah, I know. Yes, it's terrific. It's dangerous. The chronicler, number five, the chronicler Edward Hall suggested that Edward had been, this is young Edward, had been so long incarcerated that he could could not discern a what from a what.
0: A goose from a capon. Indeed, yes. Well done. Well, I got curious after our last episode (laughs) and looked up what a capon is. Mm -hmm. It is a chicken, but it's a castrated rooster little chap with his little chaps yeah they castrate them so they don't end up tasting totally gamey but they end up with a much larger bird than a hen that way they're not actually killing off something that could be fed to people later and it's incredibly expensive meat
1: i've had i've had cockerels and i wouldn't know where to start trying to castrate a cockerel (laughs) (laughs) i'm not going to
0: speculate (laughs) <laughs> i did not go down that rabbit hole i thought about it and i was like you know what no no nope, not doing it <laughs> i'm not going to speculate on it <laughs> oh i did horribly
1: i got one <laughs> no you didn't you got one three. And a half. three you got you got uh the bear you got the cape on and you got Anne neville oh, yes. even though that wasn't the answer that i
0: had <laughs>
1: we seem to I... be stuck on three don't we yep we've had three for the last three times
0: maybe we should go for less obscure questions <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Or maybe we need less obscure people. <laughs> yes,
1: or maybe yes. Well, that, but they wouldn't be evil if they if, if they were easy.
0: <laughs> Very true. Anyway,
1: that's your your torture is over.
0: Thank you. So. <laughs> and now on to Arthur, Prince of Wales. Mm-hmm. Really good. I thought this was going to be super easy. Mm. No. <laughs> Oh, right. Turned doubt not. But let's see what we got. Okay. Come with me, if you will. Mm-hmm. It is a very cold, blustery, rainy day, September 1486. The Queen Elizabeth, very pregnant, is travelling through this weather on muddy roads to arrive at St. Swithin's Priory, the legendary home of the fabled Camelot and King Arthur, her husband's ancestor. Mm-hmm. King Arthur's round table was there for all to see at their arrival. The queen had time to prepare for the birth, she thought. They arrived early to be able to complete lavish preparations. But one month before her time, she begins labor. What is wrong? Is the child all right? Is something wrong with the queen? So many babies and so many women died during childbirth. And how could the baby be robust and healthy if it's this early? concern and most likely fear permeate the court attending the queen very early 1am the queen delivers the prayed for infant and with relief and joy she sees that she has done her most important duty she has given england a prince on the first try hmm. well done elizabeth so arthur was born a month early and while he was i was just thinking sorry interrupting mm-hmm. you
1: already when you started okay. yes he was here he was a month early yes is he? possible that he wasn't and that they'd got together a month before yes, the wedding?
0: that is a suggestion <laughs> that Henry, being so suspicious and so worried, wanted to ensure she was fertile before they got married. No. So there is a suggestion that she was already pregnant when they got married, but...
1: Because an offer of marriage was enough, but it was counted as marriage, didn't it, at one time? I'm not sure if it was at this time.
0: It did. As soon as they signed the contract of what was going to be agreed upon for a dowry... Then basically, it was done. If you weren't a noble, you could say to somebody in a pub that I want you to be my wife. If they said yes, you were then legitimately married.
1: Oh, God. And a pub would be even worse because you'd wake up the next morning and think, oh, (laughs) God, what have I done?
0: (laughs) Well, it's funny. I looked into this because I got interested in it. I found that it wasn't until about our time period that the church made it required for a church ceremony to be. Performed. And it wasn't because they wanted it to be a church dignified wedding. It was so that they would have a record in case the couple separated after having children. Right. Okay. Because it had to do with the illegitimacy of children. So I don't want to ruffle a bunch of feathers, but everybody thinks that God dictated that marriage should be done in the church. But it turns out, no, it was completely political. You guys are separated. Is this child legitimate? Is this child not legitimate? And there were too many court cases. That's it. it has to be done at a wedding. There has to be a a legal agreement in order to officially ha- be married. But that's not at this time yet.
1: That's wonderful, isn't it? I do like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just hope we don't get fried for me pointing
1: that out. Wow, don't shoot the messengers.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it was fascinating seeing. Before they legitimized it or made it so that you had to have a church perform service with a priest and everybody had to sign their documents and he had to have witnesses, how many court cases prior to that were women saying, no, we were married, this is your child, you cannot marry somebody else? And then after that, that falls right off. Ah, goodness. So I don't know if this is the case for all of Europe, but it definitely was for England. Mm. I'm assuming it would have been the same for everywhere. They would have had the same problem. Hmm, amazing. Okay, back to Arthur. Yes, sorry. That's okay. (laughs) Arthur was born a month early, and while he was small, he was strong and able, according to Sir Francis Bacon. In a world of superstition, omens, and Christianity living and breathing in everyone's thought, this would have been a huge sign from God that Henry was the rightful king. To get a prince on the first get-go, within the first year of their marriage?
1: After having won a battle as well, which is another... Yes, indicator that god yes, is on it's your just side just another sign oh. yeah, not on henry. when
0: henry landed he is said to have quoted psalm 43 judge me O god and distinguish my cause and in this birth he must have felt that god had indeed distinguished his cause this is just a year after bosworth and only eight months after his wedding and god gave him a son as his firstborn arthur is now the living breathing union of two warring houses his name also is symbolic Arthur was to embody the legend of the returning King Arthur. We know his exact time of birth because, of course, his grandmother Margaret Beaufort wrote it in her book of hours, down to the time.
1: She would, wouldn't she? (laughs) Yes, she would.
0: (laughs) She was right there. (laughs) But you know she had to be in the room to write it down the exact time because there was a delay between the midwife actually giving birth, cleaning up the baby before it would have been announced to anybody outside of the room. So in order for her to know the exact time, she had to be in the delivery room. (laughs) St. Swithin's Priory was later named Winchester Cathedral Priory. It was, of course, lost during the dissolution of the monasteries, in a way. Parts of it, the priory is not there, but the cathedral, as I understand it, is still standing. Yeah, we have
1: Winchester Cathedral's there. Lovely.
0: I wonder if Henry thought of Arthur's birthplace when he did the dissolution of the monasteries, and if that's one of the reasons why this was mostly untouched.
1: I don't know. I know um, we live in a Cainsham Abbey, where Jasper was buried, was dissolved and taken apart. So, yeah, maybe possible... had stronger feeling for his brother than he did for his, his uh, great uncle.
0: Yeah, but also, as we'll learn through this, Jasper was more with Arthur than he was with Henry. Mm. He was with Arthur when Arthur ends up at Ludlow.
1: Oh, that's right. Yes, because he was, uh, when Arthur was below age to look after mm-hmm. Wales, he was the one that was
0: deputizing, wasn't he? Yes, he was. So perhaps it was just he didn't see his great uncle Jasper very much. Arthur was born the Duke of Cornwall. This is the title of the heir to the throne. And just like Charles is now, from what I understand. Yep. He was baptized four days after he was born and five people had the honor of becoming his godparents. Elizabeth Woodville, his grandmother; Cecily of York, his mother's sister; Thomas Stanley, Margaret Beaufort's husband;
3: mm-hmm.
0: and John de Vere, the Thirteenth Earl of Oxford, and William.
1: Oh yes, he's he's the lovely man that um put, put, the, put, the, put the I was going to say put the noose around Edward Pl- Plantagenet's neck, but of course it
0: wasn't a noose, was it? Put the <laughs> he was the one who found him yeah. guilty. And William Fitz Allen, the 16th Earl of Arundel.
1: So there's belt and braces there, because you need, you need a, a great mass of godparents in case you don't end up with the full quota.
0: That's what I thought, because that's an awful lot of people. So maybe it was just making sure that there was no way he would ever be without a godparent. Oh. Godparents were much more active in their godchild's life. Now you're just sort of godparent in case something bad happens, but at this time you were fully involved in that child's life after researching and learning about margaret beaufort and knowing she was in that delivery room i was actually really surprised she did not end up one of the godmothers hmm i couldn't find anywhere why she was excluded yeah no, that's interesting arthur was baptized Four days later than the birth, the delay was required to allow time for the attendants and for the godparents to arrive. He was, after all, born a month early, so nobody was there <laughs> ready for the <laughs>
1: wedding or ready for the birth. And also, it's Winchester.
0: like <laughs> unlikely to just happen to be in Winchester, I suppose, are you? It had been planned several months prior that Uh, that was where she was going to give birth. So they were expected to arrive, but they weren't expected to arrive for at least another three weeks. uh, So messengers had to go frantically into that horrible evening to go tell everybody, you need to come now. Te Deum Laudamus was sung, which is apparently a hymn of celebration for the Catholic Church. uh, Fires were lit. And of course, everyone drank heavily. The king provided two pipes of wine to the attendants of the baptism. So I looked up what two pipes is. Mm-hmm. It equates approximately to 1,100 litres of wine, or 240 gallons.
1: For each person?
0: <laughs> Not for each person, just for the attendance, but that's still about oh, for the... two, two litre bottles of wine per person for one evening. It's mm. a lot of wine. <laughs> Was wine as strong as it is now? I would assume it was, mm. and that was just the wine that was provided. He also provided ale. Mm. I just thought that was an insane amount of alcohol. And you think you have a couple of glasses of wine, and maybe two people would polish off a single one liter bottle nowadays, but
1: over two liters per person. Well, maybe he was making sure that there would be plenty, and we don't know. If they drank it all, I suppose. Uh, I don't. But you know. think they probably did? I think they did.
0: <laughs> More wine and ale was provided by the town for the townspeople, and you can believe this happened at London at the same time. There was a huge outpouring of excitement for this birth. Mm. Soon after the baptism, Arthur was escorted by his parents and the retinue to his nursery. Here, his parents would leave him behind to be cared for and raised by other people. Mm. Unlike the rest of the future royal brood, Arthur was placed in a nursery at Farnham Palace in Surrey, All the other children were later raised together at Eltham Palace. So he was completely separated from his family.
3: Poor little
0: lad. Yeah.
1: But then again, I suppose he probably just transferred his affection to the people he was
0: with. You would think. You would have to think. Yeah. In his care, we do have a rare glimpse of Queen Elizabeth's influence. Arthur's nursery was headed by Elizabeth Darcy, who had been the chief nurse for the Queen when she was an infant.
3: All right, so she's getting on a bit, presumably.
0: Mm-hmm. The others who cared for the Queen and her brothers and sisters were also added to Arthur's nursery. The use of the Yorkists to care for Arthur could have been political to show the world that I'm bringing the Yorkists in, and this is a Yorkist child as well as a Lancastrian. Mm -hmm. But that seems too risky to just pick Yorkists just because. They were more chosen for the love and trust that Elizabeth had in them. And it is... Good to know that they had shown that they had already cared for children all the way to adulthood and get them through that scary time. But also, the nursery for Elizabeth's family hadn't fully closed yet. She had two younger sisters that were 10 and 8. Mm. And about 6 to 8 is when children would leave the nursery and be expected to join adults. So it was only a year or two ago that that nursery had been disbanded.
1: I just imagine that when you're leaving, you a little little one, in the care of other people. She must have had some say. And I loved these people. (laughs) They were really good to me. They'll be just as good to my son.
0: Yeah. If, as you were saying, they would put their attachment in. If she was as attached to Elizabeth Darcy as a mother, which is what we can assume it ended up being like, who Hmm. else would you trust to have total care of your child? Hmm. Henry's major focus became Arthur's safety. No matter what, it was his safety guards and yeomen were appointed all servants were vetted by margaret beaufort <laughs>
1: that bloody woman
0: You're n- we're never going to get rid of her
1: we ought to have some sort of <laughs> a,
0: sort of <gasps> whatever margaret beaufort is mentioned <laughs> that would be perfect <laughs> What I found really interesting was there was even a specific doctor employed to ensure Arthur's wet nurse ate nutritious meals of proper proportions to ensure she was properly feeding Arthur. And the doctor watched over his feeding to ensure that Arthur was getting enough at every feeding. So this poor woman is under (laughs) scrutiny basically 24 hours a day. Don't eat that. Eat that. Here we've made your meal. I'm going to watch you breastfeed now. Like how awkward would that be? <laughs> the security was, however, very much warranted. In 1487, so this is less than a year later, an act was passed in Parliament that gave the Court of Verge, this is a court that managed all household manners in relation to servants, the ability to proceed as a criminal court for any crime that occurred within the household. Mm. This act was passed after an internal treachery was discovered within King Henry's household. Any of Arthur's servants who failed to follow protocol or caused offence in the future could be put in the stocks. Larger crimes would obviously have worse consequences. Henry ensured the servants were paid promptly and well because unhappy servants are dangerous servants, and he would never risk Mm. that.
1: He was quite... He invented the bodyguard, didn't he, with the yeoman of the guard for himself. So, yes, he was quite tot on security, wasn't he? Yes,
0: he really did.
1: And I don't know whether that's because he's exceptionally paranoid or whether he mm-hmm. well, obviously he had reason to be so on this occasion.
0: Mm-hmm. But, uh... Arthur's importance was highlighted in every way possible. First, his name. Mm. He is the return of the original king. Arthur's nursery was lavish. And this I found really cool. He had two cradles. A daily cradle of estate that had pillars, was intricately carved with the coats of arms of all of his immediate family, and a great cradle. This was a cradle for when Arthur was presented to ambassadors and ceremonial occasions. It had silver pommels on each corner, was five feet in length, intricately carved, had a cloth of gold on it, and the blankets that he used were cloth of gold and crimson Trimmed with ermine. The pillows and bolsters were also cloths of gold trimmed with ermine. Ermine's a very, very expensive fur. Ermine is quite small, so you need a lot of them to actually create that trim. That's why you only ever see it on the trim or the edge of the royal robes. There's a lot of money.
1: Yeah, I mean that's now you told you have to have breathable sheets and all sorts <laughs> of <no> things. <matter, laughs> Imagine right, you're going have furry blankets yeah and a great big bolster.
0: top it off with him being swaddled yeah the medieval times believed in swaddling it's like a five inch width of cloth
1: so if he did get a mouthful of fur he wouldn't have been able to fight it off at all would he
0: not at all he wouldn't have been able to move Hmm. they thought that by swaddling them it would retain strong straight limbs Uh, i don't know if that's the case it also makes a baby sleepy they tell you now, if you can't sleep, just don't move for 15 minutes and you'll naturally fall asleep. So babies were always sleeping swaddling. when they were swaddled. Yeah,
1: swaddling went on for a long time, didn't it? I think Victorians mm-hmm. swaddled their babies, didn't they? And, and it's, it's quite widespread as well across the world. So, yeah, yeah I should imagine
0: if it shuts a child
3: up, then
0: most people are going to... It makes it easier if you have nobody else caring for them. Yeah. So, yeah, he was swaddled in a soft linen first and then cloth of gold on top of that. Even his swaddling was ridiculously lavish. Mm.
1: It is a very different world, isn't it? Because now we we would expect our leaders, the purpose of them is to make our lives better in every way. But that really wasn't the case in this time, was it?
0: Not at all. It was almost the opposite.
1: Yeah, the leaders. Their purpose was to show extravagance and majesty, and you know, just to be covered in bling the whole time and show create all. Yeah, you know, we must be a rich country. Look at me.
0: Yes. So, his were the only servants that were also arrayed in the same style and cloth as the king's servants. Mm. So, really highlighted that he was the next in line. None of the other children had the same
1: what about elizabeth Does she she'd have her own livery
0: oh i don't know i would assume henry would have as- made her use the tudor <laughs> livery Like you are my wife you are not an independent person if he, she was an independent person she might be a mm. another focus for the crown possibly i don't know that's a good question but we aren't doing her because rex factors does her <laughs> <laughs> Arthur's informal education began very early, at the age of three. Other royal children would leave the nursery to enter a similar childlike version of the royal court for their education and learning of etiquette and rank, but for all the other royal children, this happened at the age of six or seven, so we can see that his education was accelerated. Rudimentary grammar was being taught to him, and the informal education began in the form of noble stories, most likely with a moral or governing lessons in them, just like we do today with our nursery rhymes. Conversations were focused on virtue, honor, and piety. The household was instructed not to discuss anything that could encourage Arthur to behave poorly. So no Robin Hood tales. (laughs) The formality of this household was introducing ritual and status and was increased slowly with a staggering of the appointments of new servants. These appointments were actually rather fun to track. We can see when he received a yeoman of the cellar, he was about four... And the Yomena's cellar is in charge of food stocks to ensure enough of the right food was on hand. This now tells us that Arthur was being introduced to adult food, hmm. finally. All right, I assumed it was going to be wine, which I thought it seemed a bit excessive for a four-year-old. <laughs> so did yeah. I when I heard cellar, but no, it's for what you would serve oh. on the table. The other indication of that is that he was also now being served at a table with his new sewer. Children prior to that would be fed in the nursery when they did start eating adult food. He had to sit at a table sort of in a mini court. Mm. At three, Arthur was also formally made the Prince of Wales, Earl of Chester, and he was also made a Knight of the Bath. He was Duke of Cornwall at birth, so that was not included in this one. Imagine this. You're a three-year-old boy. You're in your father's, the King's Barge, being rowed to Westminster for the ceremony. This is probably the first time you've been out of that nursery. He hadn't been in London for public display, so this would be the first the population could also see him. This is also the most likely the first time Arthur's ever seen crowds. So this poor boy, who's never seen this many people, the banks are just thronged with people, all screaming and yelling and celebrating. Nobles and church bishops joined, them, joined him in their own barges, making it a large flotilla. Some even dared to jump from their barge to Arthur's, which when most people don't swim and you think of all the wool that they're wearing and how heavy it is, that's not really a safe thing to do. But there is a suggestion that this was a formality that was supposed to be done, showing that they would give their lives for Arthur. But I only found that in one source. When I went looking for other examples of this happening, I didn't find any. Mm. So it may have been a formality that they did, may not have been, and they just were excited.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, the swimming thing, because people used to swim before that. And then the Catholic Church had muscled in and said, you put your clothes back on, (laughs) you're not not allowed to flaunt yourself in water, because people used to swim naked. So people stopped swimming.
0: Completely. Well, they had no bathing suits. No. And if you did, everything was made of wool. And wool triples its weight in water because it absorbs so much. Yes, I remember
1: seeing, yeah, Susanna Lipskin did a experiment of what would happen if you fell in a river just wearing ordinary peasant right. gear. And why so many people drown. She said she could feel her clothes sucking her down through the water. So, yeah, I mean, if you what imagine... What was the name of uh, that show? So, Hidden killers of Tudor lives
0: or something, something like that? Something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah. And imagine if you're, you know, a noble a courtier, you've got a lot more clothes on, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always an interesting thing about the swimming, because it's such a obviously useful thing to be able to do. But then the Catholic Church said, stop it. No. Stop that.
0: <laughs> you're too no. naked. So you've got all of this happening, and then all of the cannons fired on the ship in the city at the tower (laughs) oh poor little chap (laughs) the way this was presented in a few of the books that i read was wow this must have been so amazing and all i keep thinking is this poor little kid is probably crying his eyes out (laughs) like would he be excited or would he have been terrified this is all
1: brand new i suppose he would have been warned but whether he'd understand
0: i don't know This is one of the few times that we get an actual account of him visiting his mother. The records only show three other official meetings prior to this. Official, though. It may seem that Arthur was devoid of parental attention by the records, but they did write... I
1: mean, was she she visiting him?
0: Yes. So, all official occasions were recorded, but unofficial visits weren't. Mm. They could have been a lot more... In contact, and we do know that they wrote a lot and they sent gifts. Henry was diligently involved in his son's security and his education personally, reviewing decisions and vetting each person admitted to his household with Margaret Beaufort's help. Almost all of them came through Margaret Beaufort. This separation was also normal in noble society, although usually later in a child's life. Almost all noble children were removed from their household and put into another noble's household to learn how to serve before they, like, that would be where they would learn their etiquette and how to behave was in another noble's house. But that was usually later, about eight to ten, was when they were removed hmm. for that. His parents would...
1: It does seem odd, because they they're just all just swapping children, pretty not all these
0: big houses. Oh. And if it wasn't because they needed to learn something, it was because it was a wardship.
1: Well, I suppose it went on for upper-class families for a long time because, well, still, yes. boarding school. I mean, it's an odd thing to do. I mean, if you had children, why, why do you want to get rid of them? It's, mm-hmm. it's a bit peculiar, but anyway, they do that sort of thing.
0: Yep. <laughs> Arthur's parents would visit him, but only when duties permitted and when they were in the same area of the country. We have to remember that the households at this time were moved regularly for progresses and to mm-hmm. allow for the proper cleaning of the palaces because there were no lavatories at this time or bathrooms. So people had a tendency to go anywhere and that would really build up after a while.
1: I've had that French court in Versailles, you know, this beautiful building Mm -hmm. and these gorgeous ornate rooms with piles of crap in the
0: corner. Yes. Lucy Worsley just did a documentary about hidden areas of the palaces and she was showing there's corners that have a metal spiky grate in them in a circular semicircular thing to keep you from being able to get into the corner and it was to prevent people from peeing and going to the bathroom in the corner because you no longer had the same amount of privacy and that's all over this palace i was like oh my gosh that's so disgusting
1: <laughs> also i suppose with this moving about business they were avoiding disease weren't they outbreaks of plague yeah sweating sickness
0: yeah, we'll see how often Henry VIII just packs up and leaves at a moment's notice, leaving his yeah, servants he... behind to avoid plague. He was
3: terrified of it, wasn't he?
0: Mm-hmm. The investiture of Arthur's titles had to be held off until he was old enough to tolerate the length of the ceremonies and behave properly. The Tudors thought that children matured much faster than we they do de- than we think now, but that was actually not the case because of a lot of malnourishment. Quite often, they mature more slowly. Three was also the age at which he was considered to have survived infancy and entered childhood. Tutors didn't do infancy from, say, one to, or zero to one. You were an infant until you were three. That was the most dangerous time for children. So
1: once they hit three, you'd feel, we've we've sort of done it.
0: Almost, almost. Hmm. Um, I believe deaths up to six were the most common. After that was more of a safety net, but the first major hurdle was getting them to three, then they had survived their infancy. I'm going to end up coming across this a lot. Reading about Arthur's life gave me so many more examples of how involved Margaret was. <laughs> she designed or altered all of the ceremonies we we're about to discuss for Arthur's investiture poor little arthur okay he's he's three and during this ceremony the first thing he had to do was hold his father's towel while his father feasted so he's not eating he's three years old and he's just standing there waiting for his father to need to wipe his hands on the towel he is holding and this poor little boy is doing these
1: feasts went on for ages didn't they
0: They did. It could be hours. I'm assuming that Henry wouldn't have done that to a three-year-old boy, because the more you risk that time, the more you risk having a child throw a temper tantrum. Yes, or pee himself. (laughs) That wouldn't look great.
1: Mm. I mean, you'd think he'd sort of scoop him up and put him on his lap, really, wouldn't you? I mean, he's dad. Yeah,
0: but they're not. They were so formal at that time. So no, he had to stand there and he had to be silent and they thought 3 was an okay age to make him do this 3
1: euros 3 euros are not silent <laughs> no
0: after his dad ate arthur ate he then had his ritual bath with the other young men they were all significantly older than arthur <laughs> much much older mm. this is while they listened to henry give his speech on nightly duties while they're in the bath in a bath with a bunch of other men they all had their own bathtub but still. It's
1: a bizarre situation, isn't it? You've got a load of men sitting in their baths listening to a speech from the king. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: During this evening of ceremonies, Arthur's first sister, Margaret, was born. There is a suggestion that they actually did this ceremony knowing that she was going to go in labor to take the focus off of the possible death of the mother in case something went wrong. Mm-hmm. But still. Arthur would know of his sister, but he wouldn't spend much time with her during his lifetime. The next morning, he rode a horse to the Star Chamber. I found no mention of anybody leading the horse, and no mention of anybody riding with him, like it is mentioned later for Henry.
1: You sort of assume it's a Shetland pony, but...
0: I hope so. (laughs) Yes. Apparently, he rode alone at three. He then endured a day-long of ceremonies of investiture of each of his titles and becoming a knight of the bath. Henry girded Arthur's sword on him and it must have looked absurdly adorable. Can you imagine <laughs> the little tiny sword they had for this little three-year-old boy and his father putting the belt on him? He then set a little tiny coronet on his head and placed a teeny tiny ring on his finger and gave him his ceremonial scepter to hold. So they're all been shrunk down for this little three-year-old boy.
1: I wonder if Tudors looked at them and thought, oh, oh that's so sweet. Or whether, or whether they just...
0: I would think you, you did.
1: Or they just think completely differently about children?
0: I don't know, but I would hope that they did. I would hope they would feel oh. that affection and, oh, it's just so adorable. Mm-hmm. Each of these things was symbolic. The sword was a symbol for his duty. The coronet was made of gold. Indicating both his lordship and that he was pure. Gold at that time was considered a pure metal. Mm. The ring was to show him bound to offer true justice. And the gold scepter was a symbol of all his future military victories. Mm. The king then left the knights to feast. And in such an adorable image, Arthur is still three little, little year old Arthur with his little coronet. He's still got that on and his little rig and all his little robes. Is said to have invited all the others to eat rather than wait for him to finish as they were supposed to. Yeah. So he got rid of ceremony. And this was pointed out by multiple people. Yeah. Everybody thought this was showing how gracious of a king he was going to be.
1: I bet Margaret Beaufort was thinking, that's not how it's done. <laughs> there are rules to this sort of thing.
0: Probably. <laughs> she was probably intense. <laughs> how dare you? I made this rule. Yeah, wait till I get you. A... <laughs> yeah, but instead, it seems to have garnered affection with the people that many of these people were made Knights of the Bath at the same time as Arthur to create a link between them for loyalty in the future. They were more focused on the fact that he invited everybody to eat with him rather than wait for him to finish. And I just thought that was so cute. Mind you, it'd
1: be embarrassing when not it, just sitting there eating all on your own while everybody sits and waits. It'd
0: yeah, but if he had been that way at home already, because yeah, you... he was eating at that table, I don't know. I would have been uncomfortable.
1: He's had it all drummed into him from an early age anyway.
0: But mm-hmm. When he was six, he was moved to Ludlow Castle to begin his education as the nominal ruler of Wales with his great uncle Jasper Tudor. Yay. So we know he's there. <laughs> This isolation from the main royal family and the court specifically was strategic and not unknown. Henry didn't make this up. He's following a path that past kings had already created. Edward IV sent his son to Ludlow to learn. So did Richard III. The idea was to ensure Arthur would develop an independence and strength of character and an ability to assess people by himself by learning on the job.
1: I suppose also if you've got the king and the prince a long way apart Mm -hmm. if something were to happen to one it's not going to happen to the other so you've got to impending
3: yeah
0: (sighs) this was the ultimate apprenticeship to ensure he was well taken care of and advised only the most trusted and loyal of henry's servants were with arthur this doesn't mean they were the most appropriate it just means that they were the most trusted they couldn't ability was second in consideration at this point, because Arthur, Henry was still fighting off all of these claims to the throne and the battles he had to continually have to demand that it was his, he decided that security was more important than ability.
1: He's probably right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no point having able servants to, to a child that's just been abducted or uh, fed the wrong things.
0: Mm hmm. Arthur's having his own court, it was hoped, would develop a very personal loyalty amongst his servants that Arthur would be able to rely on in the future. So many of those Knights of the Bath came with him. Mm. Henry needed to ensure that Arthur was mentally strong enough to hold his own when he was king. Henry had extreme examples of how things could go wrong. A weak king in Henry VI led to civil war, and a young king that was not strong enough led to the supposed murder of the princes in the tower. Mm. He had to do everything in his power to prevent either of these scenarios from repeating. I keep coming back to his separation from his family and how that would make him feel. By this age, he had sisters, and they were being raised in a communal royal nursery very close to their parents and were visited often. Arthur would have been able to see the emotional closeness that the other siblings would have enjoyed and the familiar family bickering between the (laughs) children at every ceremonial occasion because all of the children would have attended. And he would have been...
1: And that's the only time he'd see them.
0: Yeah. And he would think he would have to have realized that he was being, he was different. And would he feel isolated at that point? Would he have been hurt?
1: Were there other children at his court for him to play with?
0: Yes. When he was six. There appear to be a number of nobles that were brought to be educated with him. Again, that's not unusual. There usually were groups of girls would be at one high-born lady's home to be educated. And this is the reverse of that. There were a bunch of boys around his age, maybe not exactly his age, some a bit older, some younger. One is known to be eight years older than Arthur and was educated at Ludlow with him.
1: Did he have it? Because some princes had a whipping boy, didn't they?
0: There is no
1: mention of a whipping boy Hmm. at all. That's somebody who would be whipped instead of the king, because obviously that would be treasonous to whip the king, wouldn't it? Or the prince. Yeah,
0: but there's a couple of things saying that that was a myth, and others saying that the whipping boy was only in the case of a minority when the boy was the actual king. When he was king. Yeah, and Arthur isn't. He's... No. Just a prince at this point, so perhaps maybe he did. They definitely believed in spare the raw, spoil the child at this point. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, we're the anomaly there, aren't we? Throughout history it's been like that. It's just uh, it's very, very recent that we've decided to stop hitting children,
0: <laughs> thank God. And there are still areas in the world where they do. Huh? It is more than possible that Margaret, who was heavily involved in her family and all the rituals around Arthur, would have visited him much more regularly. Farnham was only about nine miles from her favorite residence at Woking. We also have to remember that Arthur, too, was allowed to go on visits. He would leave that area quite often. But unfortunately, nobody kept records of informal visits. It was only a record if it was a ceremonial occasion or something particularly special happened. As you and I were talking about, we don't need to consider if he was lonely for friendship. He did have those boys with him. It was hoped that all of these boys surrounding him would have developed an affection for him. They were still taught to respect his position at a young age so that it would be natural in the future. And Henry was hoping that this would end up being a trusted network that he'd be able to rely on during his reign when the advisors that he currently has, all the older gentlemen, had passed on. So he was hoping to create a continuum Mm. of loyalty and support. Ludlow and Wales are, in essence, a kingdom within a kingdom. I was thinking of how little girls get to play with little baby houses and pretend to cook and clean. This was essentially a play kingdom Mm -hmm. for Arthur to learn on and make as many mistakes as he wanted, but they (laughs) were contained and could be corrected by the king without too much damage happening. There could also have been a hope that having a Welsh prince in Wales, that was the area of the marshes, Wales at this point was still an area that was long a source of rebellion.
3: Mm. So
1: having
0: a Welsh prince... Mind you, justifiably, because... uh... Yeah, the English didn't treat them well.
1: Looked at in the backgroundy stuff, you know, they were definitely second-class citizens. Yeah,
0: so perhaps having a prince that they identified as being Welsh near the Welsh mm. lands would create a loyalty in Wales that couldn't be duplicated by any other English prince previously. I suppose kings have been stressing
1: their Welshness, haven't they? I mean Henry the Seventh, obviously. Mm-hmm. stressed his welshness and edward IV, as well as, as he was related to the mortimers in wales so right. he stressed his welshness as well so
0: yeah yeah it seems to be but henry the sixth couldn't no and anybody prior to that couldn't no so perhaps this was just to point out that they were more welsh than english we can also think of ludlow as being a safe haven so as you were saying earlier they were keeping them separate for disease. Disease was way more prevalent in London. There were more people, animals, yeah. and of course, waste products. Back then, they didn't exactly hey, ship it out. It was all over the
1: floor and the ground. We just cannot imagine it, can we?
0: I mean, it's just... No, um, the stench. Yeah. Ludlow was seen as cleaner. It had better air. It was sweeter, as they claimed I'm it. I'm sure it was, yes. <laughs> Mm Mm-hmm. This can be compared to how Prince Charles and Prince William never fly on the same plane. Mm. By separating Arthur from his father, they weren't being exposed to the same risk of disease outbreaks, violence, or even palace coups. After all, the last several decades were a repetition of all three disasters. Yeah. You had the plague. You had war. You had palace coups taking Henry out.
3: Yeah.
0: It was nonstop. I thought about going into all of the estates that Arthur was given and then chose not to it would take up a lot of time to itemize them and he didn't really earn any of them and they didn't play a significant part in his life they just provided wealth basically income yeah mm-hmm. it didn't give us any insight into arthur's personality
1: and also these people own ludicrous amounts of land all across the country don't they yeah. it's...
0: suffice it to say they were vast yeah. And they brought in a lot of wealth. Mm. Yeah, I remember when I was reading
1: about Jasper Tudor and I got to the bit where after Henry was on the, on the throne, all the things that he got. And I was just turning over the pages thinking, yeah, 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 yep, come on. <laughs> yep. more, more. I thought, yeah. So
0: I figured if any of them became something specific or, or something special or particular happened, I'd cover it then, which didn't even end up happening. Mm. Arthur's education was comprehensive. It was really interesting to see how his education developed. And all I could sit there hearing was Henry thinking, he has to know everything I was never taught because he was on the run. Yeah,
1: he had a very different childhood, didn't he? He had
0: a ridiculously difficult... I mean, he
1: was a prisoner, although he was he was looked after and educated, wasn't he? And, uh...
0: Yeah, until he was 12, and then he was off on the run. Yeah. It just felt like Henry was trying to cram everything he felt he wished he'd do before he became king. His rudimentary education started at three, as we mentioned earlier, but his formal education began at four with a grammar tutor teaching him to read and write. This normally would have been taken up by his mother. Mothers at this time taught their children to read and write. Yeah.
1: I think... Oh, yes, because um, King Alfred's mother taught him, didn't she? Yep. Remember hearing that Rex Factor?
0: And uh, David Starkey, we'll probably talk about this later, noticed that Henry VIII has the same R as his mother, and it's a very unique R. It looks almost like a cursive Z, as proof that Elizabeth taught her children how to read and write because they've retained her style of writing. Poor little Arthur. I think the most (laughs) dullest thing in the world that he was taught that was focused on was he had his own herald. This was a man that was appointed to teach him not just who all of the nobles are, but their titles, the lands they hold, their children, their badges, their coats of arms, their genealogies going back through centuries, and what they could bring to bear. So you've got their oh, coats of arms- How they could be useful. For battle, yeah. What, mm. what are they going to contribute to the crown? In writing, he had to be able to recognize their coats of arms. And in battle, he had to recognize their badges. In the future, he would need to be able to recognize these in an instant. So this was just hammered into the poor little boy.
1: I wonder if it's also, it makes her more loyalty if, if you have the um, Bill Clinton effect, you know, that you can go up to someone and say, oh, hello, so-and-so, you know the name, you know the children, you know everything about them. Oh, yeah. And they think, oh, the king knows all about me. Yes, I must be someone yeah. special. Yes, gives it more loyalty
0: to people. Either that or it could be that people would have been offended since this was something they expected a king to know. (laughs) Maybe, yes. One of the other things that the Herald would have to focus on is what military power each of these nobles could bring to a battle. The types of archers, men-at-arms, men on horses, all of that would have been itemized for poor little Arthur to memorize. And if you think about it, that would change. Yeah. You get people who are tainted. Fathers who die—they've got their sons. Some of them didn't have sons, so now somebody else has all of their wealth.
1: Well, we know how complicated it is when you've got an urn of somewhere or other, and then you're reading about this person, and you think, oh, "Hang on a minute, I thought he was dead." And you think, "Oh God, this is, this is <laughs> a different one." And then, of course, he have got to keep going
0: back. And... Yeah, and now they're fighting over land that didn't they already have? Yes, it's
1: so. Yes, you no, know, I can sympathise with him. It's a nightmare.
0: Yeah, that one just made me cringe.
1: Oh, poor little dad. mind you. Good memory. You'd have you start to start memorizing things at that age.
0: Yeah, going to get a good memory. Margaret Beaufort was one of the ones that chose most of his tutors, and they came from her favorite university. They either came from Oxford or Cambridge or Winchester, or is it Winchester? But mostly Oxford and Cambridge. Hmm. Arthur was then educated in what could be called state-of-the-art education practices when he reached six. The Renaissance had begun, so he was taught classical Latin texts that had been rediscovered. His focus was oratory, rhetoric, poetry, humanist philosophy, French, and Latin. Hmm. These were all subjects that he wasn't expected to just know, he was expected to be a master of them. And, your husband will love this, like all tutors. Arthur was expected to be musical and learn to master the lute. Yay, or the oud, as it turns out. <laughs> or the oud, is we... Oh, yes. Poor Lucy got an oud instead of a lute, and I'd never even heard of an oud. Did you want to explain what an oud it's, is? It's um,
1: a, a Middle Eastern Turkish lute, really. I mean, it looks like a lute to me, but uh, it's not quite, and I don't know
0: what the difference is, but I'm sure we'll find out when we try and play it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, so Arthur got the loot. Hey. Diplomacy and parliamentary processes were learned firsthand with an emphasis in private lessons on how to listen, dissect arguments, and debate them. Ooh. There appeared to be a multifaceted approach to his education. So he had his formal lessons, then entrenched within his household and estates, He would learn rank, etiquette, and being able to judge character through his household appointments. And then his estates would teach him law, procedures, and governing, and possibly one of the most important lessons patronage. Patronage for every nobleman was the route to developing loyalty and love from his people. And the king, which he would be, was the ultimate source of patronage. Oof. He studied Tacticus, that's a Roman writer, and military tactics. Tacitus. Tacitus? I, I, okay. So I've been <laughs> listening to uh, another History of Rome podcast, and they explained that C's in Latin were actually a hard C's, so it was... Oh, no. Yeah, yeah they
1: are, t- it is, yeah. But he's always known as Tacitus, but yeah, they are hard, yes. and so is a G- so are Tacitus.
0: Tacticus, Yes. <laughs> but Tacitus. There's some debate on whether Arthur was instructed in the physical martial arts. He had armor made for him, and he did have a war horse. At what age has he got his, his first... It looks like about seven. Mm. There was a tilt yard and an exercise yard at Ludlow. And we do know that all of those boys that were educated there later would be proficient in battle. So you, you would think Arthur would have been taught alongside him. But we have absolutely nothing in writing saying that he was.
1: Especially since Henry wasn't. He didn't get any battle education. No,
0: and Henry was completely of the opinion that kings should lead and not actually be in the battle. They were there to develop the tactics and tell people how to fight, but they should not be fighting. Mm. And he had a very good example. When Richard the King, Richard fought, he died.
1: Yeah, whereas Henry was at the back, surrounded by his...
0: His bodyguard, essentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. His six-foot-eight chum, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, chain or cheney.
0: Henry may also have thought that Arthur was just too precious to risk. And since we have so many records of his... Formal education and this facet isn't discussed, maybe he wasn't taught. Yeah,
1: I mean, you don't want to take stupid risks, do you?
0: The longbow was different though. Archery was required for English nobles, it was almost a utensil. It was used in battle, but not by nobles. It was used for hunting for both noble men and women. You were expected to be proficient in it for hunting. I more think that the longbow that we know that was purchased for him and that he did become proficient in was for hunting rather than for teaching him how to fight. Because it would have been beneath them to use a longbow in battle. I found his education and all of this really interesting. If we look at every other noble boy in their time period, their martial prowess is the focus of their praise. They competed in tournaments to gain fame, to gain rewards. Mm. Quite a number of nobles ended up becoming nobles because of their prowess in battle or at the tilt yards. We know that they were training. We know that these boys that were with him were training in tilt yards, working with swords and axes. And even in some cases, we'll know what their preferences were when they were in battle, whether they preferred to use an axe or a sword. But with Arthur, we get the...
1: I can't imagine using an axe.
0: It's just... It doesn't
1: seem noble, an axe, does it? No, no, it really doesn't. I don't know, I don't know why a long, thin bit of metal is, is more noble than a big, chunky bit, but it just is, isn't it? Maybe it's because
0: we see swordsmanship as requiring finesse and we think of
1: axe work as just brutal. You just imagine someone going in, waving it about and you know, hitting whatever gets in his way.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I know we're going to get people out there that tell us that an axe does require finesse. There is a way to change your stroke and do different things with an axe. But to the majority of people, they just see an axe as something that chops. Mm. They had several things that they could choose between a mace. They had specific types of maces for nobles that had their, which is horrible. They had their family crest in some of the maces. So when they bashed into somebody else, they were actually marking them with their coats of arms i was like oh my gosh that's horrific yes (laughs) i can count every person that i have killed today (laughs) because i've marked him yeah so you had those particular maces and then you had really fancy axes and then of course you had different types of swords short swords long swords double-handed swords so they had quite a range that they could choose to be proficient in Mm. but with arthur we get the exact opposite there's no mention of his physical training whatsoever but we know so much about his intellectual education he had to have been trained in my opinion and this is only my opinion he had to have been trained most kings gained loyalty in the battlefield being able to show that they could fight so if he wasn't trained in this time period would he have ever managed to get that loyalty I just couldn't see yeah, it. Yeah, I'm just trying to think whether Henry could claim to have loyalty.
1: I suppose he only had the one battle. Well, two, I suppose. There was East Stoke as well. but um,
0: Yeah. And he didn't. No, and he did go over to France to, to try to invade. But he... Again, there's no mention of Henry getting into the battle. Mm. Anyway, we lack detailed accounts of Arthur's daily life. But with all the education the duties that he had to attend in learning how to manage his estates and rule, all of the ceremonies he was required to attend, and then you've got your religious duties. It's hard to think that he had any leisure time, mm. especially when we realized that he was expected to learn everything before he was 15. There was a set date that Henry had chosen that he needed to learn everything he possibly could. Yeah, that's pretty intense, isn't it? <sighs> yeah, I mean, that's grade eight for us in Canada. I don't know what grade that is for you. So we've got another four years after grade eight.
1: I can't remember this. What is it in here? I can't remember. I haven't had to think about school for a while. And it changes all the time.
0: Been a while for me too. Uh, when Arthur was six, Henry invaded France, as we just mentioned. Arthur was declared a lieutenant, the regent and governor. Of course, he didn't rule himself. But he was expected to sit in on every discussion of the council and be taught by these men how to rule, how to take in contrary viewpoints, and then to make judgments. In 1493, he was given the title Earl of March. The last Lord of the Marches was Edward V. Mm. Yeah. And this is in Wales. The Marches are in Wales. Giving Arthur that title further linked him to the Yorkists, because he's taking over from Edward V, but also with the Welsh, as the marches are in Wales.
1: Well, Edward IV was the Earl of March as well, wasn't he, before he became king? Yes. Or before his dad died?
0: Yep. At this time he was seven, yet he was still required to take personal control of the marches with the council. He was required to sit in on judgments, and all the discussions required to maintain his lordship and the governing of these vast estates. Mm-hmm. This poor boy must have been so bored. And you're sitting in on councils yes. all the time, and you're hearing land problems yes. and disputes. Which is dull and- for
1: anybody. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, you can see why he had to be hothoused, really, didn't he, edu- for his education, because he needed it straight away, didn't he? Yeah, He needed to be able to understand all these things.
0: Yeah, they made his education very hands-on. I mean, we never put a seven-year-old in this position. It would be like telling a seven-year-old to go sit in on the Supreme Court of Justice for the entire day, every day. Go ahead, hmm. let's see if you behave through the whole thing. Well,
1: except that'll be a lot more interesting because you might get some <laughs> quite juicy cases, whereas if you're talking about conveyancing, and yeah. things, it's, go, and, go and sit in a solicitor's office for, uh, for a day.
0: Yeah, that would be more accurate, I think. With the unrest still occurring, Arthur's education had to be accelerated even faster. Uh, Henry decided he needed to be strong enough to be able to take over even in his minority if something happened to Henry. They still had the princes in the tower to remind them of what could happen if he wasn't strong enough. So there were two focuses for Henry. One was his education. The other was making sure that he had people around him that would develop an affection and loyalty with him. As much as a lot of people say that he had no socialization, you can think of his entire life, period, as being socialization.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's got his people around him, hasn't
0: he? That. Mm-hmm. And if he did not develop a personality that would inspire loyalty, that would be completely ineffective. Mm. Arthur would travel as households were expected to be cleaned, but he was also expected to tour all his lands. Witnesses and historians have noted that he even entered regions that he didn't have full control over. And in those, he was treated with the same pomp and circumstance that had the same officials, number of officials accompanying him that would normally be shown to a foreign leader rather than a member of the royal court. He was being treated as if he was king of a foreign land when he traveled. And I don't know if that was the decision of the people where he was traveling to or if they were issued that order from King Henry. Because this would mean that he'd have to get used to all the ceremonies that were required of a royal personage.
1: I would have thought it would have to be from the king, wouldn't it? I mean, would any... Would they do that off their own bat? I mean, You would want the king to at least agree to your arrangements, wouldn't you?
0: Either that, or they're just trying to curry favour by the particular attention there? But
1: I suppose he is, in effect, a king of a foreign Mm -hmm. place, because he's got his own little kingdom around Ludlow,
0: is not he? Yeah, when you are... Paying particular attention to the heir to the throne, it's in hopes of reversionary titles and positions. So you're hoping for a future reward. It's called reversionary something. Mm -hmm. From the sparse records we do have mentioning the various locations, we do know that Arthur traveled often and wild widely. Wildly. (laughs) Often (laughs) and wide widely through the Midlands. Often and wild why do I keep saying wildly? (laughs)
1: <laughs> wildly I don't know. I'm, like, I'm enjoying this image of uh, him traveling
0: wildly. <laughs> Arthur traveled often and widely through the Midlands, especially, and through other areas of his lands. He was introduced to the nobles at each location and all of the officials, so the town mayors would have to greet him. There would be some sort of progression or progress at each of these places.
1: He must have dreaded it. He must have been thinking, oh, God, here we go, another one.
0: Either that, or I wonder if he was one of those teenagers that wanted all eyes on him, and this would have been perfect. I mean, Henry VIII would have loved this. Oh, yes, he'd been in his element. By the time Arthur was 13, he was actually taking personal control over his lands, with the council being a support rather than the decision makers. They would give him all of their opinions, but he would make the final decision. And we've got proof of this in some of Arthur's quo warrants that were issued. I had to... Look this up, and I love how everything is in Latin. These are orders from Arthur for investigations into property disputes. So he would decide what was to be investigated, what was to be dismissed immediately. Arthur is already asserting his personal lordship over these lands that he's controlled, and his orders were taken seriously, and he's only 13.
1: Do we know anything of his personality at this point?
0: Sort of. We've got some that say he was very cold and aloof. But these are people that were witnessing him during ceremonies.
1: Well, that's what you meant to be in the aloof.
0: <laughs> yeah. But if you go to accounts of his funeral and some of the letters that we see through the Pastons and, and mentions in other letters, people were devastated when he died. And it was his friends that were devastated. So he had to have been fairly friendly for them to create an affection with him.
1: Well, well, these are people that he's been brought up with in his court. Yes. Oh, well, they'd have seen a different side of him, wouldn't they?
0: Yeah, if they're with him every day. And there's another thing that we don't know. In later years, we know that children were often raised in their own room if they were really, really, really rich and high ranking. But at this time, we've got information from other areas that they were sort of housed in a dormitory. For all we know, they could have been living in a dormitory with Prince Arthur. We don't have that information once he's a boy. But considering that was the norm, and it would have been considered a way to create a closeness and mm-hmm. affection between the boys, I would I would like to think that he was never alone and he was in a dormitory. And he, People now could sort of imagine the Harry Potter scene where all the boys are in a little room. Yeah,
1: well, that is, that is your boarding school, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But then King's royalty they went
0: were never alone were they no they even had people sleep in their rooms in case they wanted anything yeah at 13 he's giving orders and i'm not sure that if i was upset about something i'd be willing to take <laughs> orders from a 13 year old yes. excuse me are you seriously trying to tell me what to do
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you'd last long
0: <laughs> no i'd be in so much trouble
1: <laughs> yeah 13 year olds well i don't know 13 year olds are all different aren't they
0: they are but me at 13 I was very shy didn't talk and spent almost my entire time in a library mm, it's much the same yes I still do that yes. <laughs> when I told my husband I was going to do the podcast he talks I mean he goes you realize you're gonna to have to speak to somebody right yes <laughs> but
1: they're not real people out there Yeah.
0: <laughs> They
1: can't answer back. Well, they can only pronounce back in reviews.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. When people started following us on Twitter and it kept pinging my phone, my (laughs) husband looked at me. He was laughing because we had his friends over. He's like, I'm watching your face and it looks like terror. (laughs) I don't know these people. What do I say? (laughs) I'm getting better at it. (laughs) It's okay.
1: (laughs) And when people send you their picture of their dog, that's nice. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I
0: love that. You can send as many pictures of dogs and cats and pets as you want. I love that. Okay, Arthur. Awesome. He's now 13. We finally get a portrait of him. He is around this age, 13, 14, and it shows him as a healthy teenager. But I think it can also infer from his authority and the fact that grown men were accepting his orders that he couldn't have had a weak character or been meek, or nobody would have listened to him. Mm. He would have to have been forceful. His early death seems to have given historians the impression that Arthur was sickly, but we have absolutely no evidence of this.
1: Yeah, like um Edward VI, isn't it? I mean he was he wasn't a sickly boy.
0: Not at he all. He was fine
1: up until the point he got ills. Yeah, and yet he's he got this image of this sort of pale little waif. But he wasn't like that at all.
0: It does not appear to be the no. Spanish ambassadors sent so many letters back to the monarchs because they were concerned about what their daughter was marrying into and not once do they mention that he's ill or sickly they say he's well formed they say he's tall for his age they say he's very robust and robust has two meanings it could be very healthy but since they've already said healthy i think robust is more along the lines of personality Uh that's just my opinion again it's hard to wheedle out more information from him because there weren't the records haven't surfaced i'm not saying they don't exist but they haven't mm. surfaced yet all we can say about him at this point is that he seems to have inherited margaret beaufort and his father's thin tall frame tall from his father not margaret beaufort she was tiny but he's mm. quite slender in his portrait and it is mentioned that he is a tall slender boy I mean the, the eighth was a
1: slender boy wasn't he
0: He was, but then he ended up like his grandfather, Edward, and rounded out, pleasantly plump. (laughs) He is now 14, and this brings us to his bride and his wedding. We only have a single letter that he wrote to Catherine when he was 13. But I have to agree with every other historian that I've been reading. He was told what to write. I should mention so. It is formal, with particular diplomatic phrases that were expected. I feel we can't really use it to determine his character or his actual feelings.
1: Because it wasn't really for Catherine's viewing, was it? It was for, um, for the parents, for Ferdinand and Isabella.
0: Yeah, it was both. And he would know that ambassadors, the kings, multiple people would be reading this. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get all sloppy. Copies would also be sent to Henry. So Henry would be on top of everything. There was nothing that he could Mm. write that would be personal. Uh, Can you imagine? No privacy whatsoever. Absolutely awful. I couldn't stand it. Neither
1: could I. But we we do love our privacy now, don't we? We do. We're the anomaly. We are the anomaly. We're a a strange historical anomaly in many, many ways.
0: (laughs) The princess arriving in England, she had a heck of a time trying to get to England with the storms. She got pushed back. (laughs) And then when she did land... Because of the bad weather, they had to land between 100 and 150 miles from where she was expected to land after a storm in the channel, threatened to, to sink her ship. So her greeting had to be quickly changed to meet her at her new location. So everything had been set up with everybody in place waiting for her to arrive. And they're all told, oh, she's 100 miles that way.
1: <laughs> where was she meant to arrive and where did she actually arrive?
3: Okay. Um. Oh, man. I read it. I... Oh, you I can, I can
1: pretend
0: I didn't ask that question, if you like. Oh, there we go. So she was supposed to land in Plymouth, but she ended up in Southampton.
1: Yeah, I suppose Plymouth would make more sense for Ludlow, but Southampton would probably make more sense for London.
0: The delay in her travel overland made everybody have to get up and move to go greet her. Arthur and the King at this time were supposed to meet her when she arrived just outside of London, but the king, I'm not sure if it's just the king or if the king and Arthur became impatient because they both decided to get on their horses and ride like mad into the evening to go greet her. Mm,
1: that, that can pay off sometimes, but we know from Henry VIII that it can, be, it can fall a little flat, can't it?
0: <laughs> yes. They arrived so late that the princess had already retired for the evening and the Spanish servants refused to let the king or Arthur enter the house i'm not
1: surprised
0: if she's gone to bed <laughs> <laughs> it also went against spanish custom arthur was not supposed to see his bride before the wedding absolutely not the king threatened to see her in her bed if he had to stating that this is england not spain and i am now her guardian so i
1: can go and go put her in bed I, I would not want a guardian like that
0: basically get her out here or we will go into her bedroom of course the princess was brought out to them That's a good start, isn't it? Yeah, you can imagine that the state of your servants being that flustered would possibly make Catherine scared. I would be. They come running in, you've got to get out of bed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is your first introduction to your husband and your father-in-law. It's not a great one, is it?
0: No, it really isn't. The king and Arthur, however, were both very pleased by her looks and her behavior when she was presented to them. Oh, good. The king had another espousal ceremony performed right then and then. They'd already been married by proxy.
1: I got an image of her in her pajamas. <laughs> with, her, with her fluffy slippers.
0: <laughs> I'm assuming <laughs> they would have made her ready. They did bring her out in a veil, apparently, and the king wanted them to remove the veil. And there was an argument over that too. <laughs> Because they were still going, no, in Spain, she cannot be seen by her husband until they are married. But
1: not only that, but it's too late now. I mean, you can't take the veil off and go, whoa, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So they've already had a proxy
1: murder. That's as as it
0: gets. <laughs> <laughs> they've already had a proxy marriage. De Puebla had to do his proxy marriage with Arthur Where their legs touched. Yeah, that's right, yeah. It was hilarious. I can just imagine that, this poor 13-year-old boy having to touch his bare leg to this old (laughs) old Spanish (laughs) ambassador. Make all his marriage vows to him. Yeah, and they're going to be married in a few days or a week or so. But the king demands that they have another espousal ceremony. So he brings in a priest just to, you know, make sure that nothing can go wrong.
1: Well, we know, we learned from Edward Plantagenet's episode, how important this was to him you know what he was prepared to do to make sure this marriage went ahead
0: yeah he's got her they are now married they're still going to be married again but we need to make sure that this is like nailed right down
1: yes there can't be any comeback
0: no yeah The king then left, leaving Arthur and Catherine alone. And I say alone with the quotes around it. (laughs) Her minstrels were there. Her servants were there. Arthur's servants were there. They had a little party. Her minstrels played for them. Catherine and her ladies performed some Spanish dances. And Arthur and Lady Guilford... We may have to do an episode on her. She popped up quite a bit in Arthur's life. Right, okay. Through here, which would be interesting. And she's not on our list. They performed an English dance in front of Catherine. I jumped on this. The fact that Arthur could dance and could perform dancing, knowing that he could perform, shows that he did have some sort of physical training. Mm.
1: Because if that wasn't mentioned in his list of Education, not at all. Then what else wasn't mentioned? Exactly. That, That he was actually doing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the fact that they were impressed by his dancing. And I do know that later Polydor Virgil was not impressed with one of the royal family's dancing. I can't remember which one. We'll probably get to that with his episode. But mm. this was mentioned that he was a beautiful dancer. Nice. He had to have had extensive training in it. Those steps were not easy. We think of dancing as wiggling more. <laughs> But back then, it was very specific steps in a certain order at a specific distance from the other foot. It was quite intricate. I learned, and I thought it was really sweet that Arthur took for his badge the same as his mother's brother's badge for the Prince of Wales at the time. It's silver ostrich feathers on a black background. His mother's brother. This would be Edward IV as soon as he became the Prince of Wales, and then Edward V took it as well. Oh right, sorry, yes. For his motto, because he's getting married, he gets to choose these things. He chose, and I'm sorry for the pronunciation, the German words ich dein, which means I serve. Huh. But it's also almost identical for the Welsh meaning your man, which is ich oh. Again, I apologize for the pronunciation. <laughs> so it had a double meaning. And I thought that was lovely because oh. he got to choose that himself. I don't know if he was, you know, nudged towards his motto, but the fact that he... Took something that could be perceived in Welsh as a different way when no other king had. Makes me think he was fond of the people that were near him in his Welsh marches. Catherine was 15. Arthur was 14. And if you think about it, they're meeting for the first time. Poor Catherine had been dragged out of bed. Mm -hmm. They must have been nervous. They had corresponded, but they'd never met. Arthur did tell his parents how happy he was with his, her beauty and her grace. So we think that he was pleased, but it's hard to know.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not going to say, no, she's, she's horrible, is he? <laughs> yeah. Well, because Henry VIII did that, but uh, he was already king by that point, so yeah. he probably get away with it slightly
0: more. Yeah. She was well known to be a beauty, but that's sort of a common trope yeah. for princesses at that time, no matter what they look like. Oh, yeah, they're a gorgeous mm. woman. Arthur left the next day, so he spent the night there, not with her, <laughs> but he did spend the night in that area, it was too late for him to ride back. Catherine was to enter London in a procession that highlighted her importance, so for propriety and to give her that moment, he was not going to take part and take attention away from her. The wedding. I couldn't honestly find a real reason to describe Catherine's part in the wedding or the pageants, or the preparations, or her entrance into London, the amount of detail that we have, I would like to cover that in a special episode rather than do mm. it now, because that's probably going to take over an hour to go through all of the immense preparations. And some of the descriptions are lovely. And I don't want to do it disservice by just glossing over right. it. Henry
1: Seventh was determined to put on a show, wasn't he?
0: Oh, and he put on a show. He put on a show so much that when he came to London to tell them that they needed to trump up more money, (laughs) they said no. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have any (laughs) more. It was crucial to how the entire population would perceive Arthur and her and Arthur's place. At this point, Arthur had not spent a lot of time in London. So these pageants... I was just
1: about to say, how how much would the Londoners know of him?
0: Barely anything. He would have been there for formal occasions and certain ceremonies, and most likely the holidays, like Christmas and New Year's, were big. But other than that, he spent his time on his own lands and in Ludlow learning how to rule. So these pageants were both for Catherine's benefit, but also for the people surrounding to understand what Arthur was like. Arthur and his parents watched Catherine's entrance and the stops at the various pageants. But they were on a second floor and they remained behind specific windows that allowed them to look out, but nobody to see them. So I'm assuming it's sort of like a shutter system where you can mm. see one way but not the other. Yeah, I do get that
1: potentially with the coronation of wives of kings as well. The king doesn't attend, does he? He mm-hmm. hides in a cupboard and peers out, yep. presumably, Yeah, presumably, again, so that the attention is on the her and not on him.
0: Yeah, because propriety means that if they were there, they would take away that people would be paying Uh. attention to somebody who is considered more important. Uh. All of these pageants were geared towards presenting Arthur to her as being chosen by God, being virtuous and just. Arthur then moved to the king's wardrobe, which sounds hilarious. It sounds like he's going into like a (laughs) walk-in closet. But this is actually a building all to itself, containing tons of clothes and courtiers. And it was also the closest building that the king owned to St. Paul's Cathedral where the wedding would take place.
1: Yeah, then Owen Tudor was, what was he, steward of the wardrobe? Mm -hmm.
0: Something like that for, um, not Margaret Andrew, Catherine de Velwa. He's not
1: laying out her clothes every morning. He is responsible for a huge selection of clothes and all the jewels. He has to make sure that they don't get stolen when they go on progression. Yeah, It was um, an
0: important role. In Elizabeth's time, we'll discuss how she had almost 5,000 dresses and all of her jewels at another area. So the laundresses had to be searched when they came and left just in case the jewels went missing. (laughs) (laughs) Quite tempting, I should think. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The morning after Catherine's entrance to London, the wedding was to take place. The ceremony was then performed amidst all of the plate, which, again, we said earlier was actual gold plateware, dinnerware, jewels, tapestries, and every relic the cathedral possessed. All of that was on show. The archbishop had the honor of performing the ceremony on a raised platform that was supposed to be six to eight feet in the air so that all in the cathedral would be able to see them. The cathedral was prepared for this mass of people, They were apparently, in some cases, there are notes of people hanging from the rafters to be able to watch it. So they're on every level of the cathedral. Mm. To prevent people from pressing too close or to be able to touch, a wooden fence-like barricade was erected, sort of like what you would see in old-style museums to prevent you from going into the area where the actual displays are. Even this was lavish. The nails they used were gilded in gold. Oh, for goodness sake. I know! <laughs> <laughs> I'm up the same thing. I'm like, it's Are just, you kidding me? It's... But yes, they used oh. gold gilded nails on this wood. The wood was intricately carved. It was then draped in expensive fabric. So you've got little oh. gold flecks going through it. Yeah. It's criminal, really, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Arthur left the wardrobe, entered the cathedral, made obedience at the altar, which I'm not Catholic, so I'm not sure what that is, but I think that's the kneeling and the crossing of yourself. I don't know. And then he went into a prepared chamber to change into his wedding clothes. And at first you think he was just outside, but then you realize he has to go through a crowd. And what he wore, Arthur wore white satin that was, not only was he wearing jewels, Like he's got his coronet, he's wearing bracelets, he's wearing rings everywhere. Jewels and pearls were stitched into his clothing and draped all over him. So you wouldn't want to wear that walking through a crowd.
1: No, there'd be lots of little greedy fingers poking up (laughs) as he went past, I should think.
0: Catherine and Arthur met at the altar, and the marriage agreement was read out loud, noting specifically the dowry that Catherine was given by her father.
1: Well, it's a contract, isn't it? And Henry is is showing people, look how much money I've managed to get out of them. When you read Jane Austen, they say, oh, isn't Mm -hmm. Captain so-and-so handsome? Mm -hmm. And he's got 400 a year. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's straight in with the money.
0: I also was thinking that this was a direct response to how the country felt when Henry VI's wife, Margaret of Anjou, came to England with nothing.
1: Mm, well, not just that. He'd given stuff away.
0: To get her, yeah, yes. So this might have been Henry saying, see, I can get riches. Mm. The king and queen were there to witness the marriage, but they were watching in a newly built closet. With lattice windows, so again, it was angled so they could watch the ceremony, but people couldn't see them. They, like Arthur earlier, didn't want their present to take away from the wedding. (laughs) At the end of the ceremony, Arthur and his new bride turned in various directions to show themselves to the throng. And then proceeded to the bishop's palace. And here they feasted for hours and hours and hours, of course. The Tudor feasts went on for five or six hours. Oh, God, that just sounds hellish, doesn't it? Really it does. really does. During <laughs> this time, there was entertainment, though
1: jugglers, hmm. fools. Uh... Yeah, I suppose you're not eating for five hours continuously, are you?
0: Yeah. Around 5 p.m., Catherine retired. She was dressed in her night clothes and laid in bed to wait. Hmm. And I thought, how rude. so she goes to bed at five Arthur, as was customary he stayed up very late what would
1: happen if she'd been absolutely flat out fast asleep I mean she must have been knackered she's been travelling for ages
0: poke poke, wake up (laughs) her attendant stayed with her so maybe they read to her I have no idea what they did but she was expected to wait in that bed from 5pm until he came
1: I'd have been been fast asleep by that point me too (laughs)
0: This is another area where I think we finally get to see something about Arthur's personality. It was said that he stayed up late drinking and carousing with his friends.
1: Hmm. A bit of Dutch courage?
0: Perhaps. But it also doesn't say that he was a wallflower. Yeah. He was then carried to her chamber while his friends sang, drank, and acted body all the way. Hmm. Again, this makes me think that Arthur must have been like every other teenage boy and just having fun, because if he was a fun sponge... Nobody would have done it. Or at least they would have been much more quiet. It would not have been such a raucous occasion.
1: Then have put a fair amount of wine away, wouldn't they?
0: Mm-hmm. He was then changed and he got into bed. The bed was then blessed, prayers were said over the two, and only then were they left alone. Mm. How embarrassing. <laughs> but this is that infamous night. Oh. This is the night that is still being talked about amongst historians. In the morning... Arthur is said to have said to his friend, Willoughby, bring me a cup of ale for I have been this night in the midst of Spain. Yes. Later, he told another group of friends, masters, it is a good pastime to have a wife. Mm. With people interpreting these as saying that they had consummated the marriage. Some say he didn't.
1: (laughs) It's quite possible. We don't know how much he drank that night. He might have just
0: Passed out. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And she's lying here thinking, is this what it's meant to be like? (sighs) Is is this a wedding night where your partner just lies there with his mouth open, drooling and snoring? And maybe throwing up in a corner? And so he woke up in the morning thinking, yeah, thinking, well, hey, I had a good night last night, not realizing that nothing happened.
0: Yeah. I found various historians' opinions quite amusing. Some were claiming that Arthur was cold, calculating, and unfeeling in this. No,
1: it's a jokey remark, isn't it? I mean, it's,
0: yeah. Some were arguing that, no, he was both cold and boisterous, calculating and bragging. I was like, you can't really have both, I don't think.
1: Well, just so a normal 14-year-old lad, mm-hmm. whether they did or they didn't, he's not going to go out and say, you know, I drank so much last night I couldn't, is he?
0: I mean, he's... No. <laughs> So it could have been bragging, it could have been, yeah, it did happen, he was just honestly bragging, and others could have just been excuses. And they were expected to have children early and often. This was their duty. They knew their duty. They would have been groomed for it, like, not actually, like, educated, but you know what I mean. They would have been told what they had to do. He could have stated those remarks to ensure that the marriage treaty was concluded by claiming a consummation had happened, but that would assume that he is too shy too drunk or unable due to his health which i still don't believe that he was unhealthy could he have been shy with his upbringing he was constantly dealing with the public he was constantly speaking in public he was constantly having to deal with different people would it be possible that this with his lack of experience with no women really in ludlow could he have been shy i don't know This is the focal point of his life. Yeah,
1: there's um, a lot put upon him. Right, you will now perform. It's possible that it almost was too much.
0: The other problem with us wanting to know if the night was consummated is that this is not the only night that would be in question.
1: I was just thinking that, and when they were married, five months, is it?
0: Yeah, about six months altogether. And his servants attested to the fact that they were escorting Arthur to Catherine's chambers at Ludlow many times and then gathering him in the morning. Royal and noble wives and husbands kept separate bedchambers. In order for anything to happen, the man had to visit the wife or ask for her to be brought to him. There was a lot of time available for these two to get into legal mischief. Yeah. Arthur did write to Catherine's parents about how much he loved her. We don't have this letter, but it may have been written with the same help he'd received with the other letter mentioned. It would have been an expected letter. It was also the most diplomatic thing for him to do if they were to retain the good feelings for the treaty. Mm. They hadn't received her dowry yet. That still had to be paid, so they had to stay on the good side of Ferdinand and Isabella. He did tell his parents how happy he was. But it must have been really hard for them to get to know each other. Witnesses of the time claimed that they could only speak to each other in Latin. Yeah, of course. I found this a little odd because in Margaret Beaufort's episode, we found that Margaret and Elizabeth, the Queen, had requested in letters to Ferdinand and Isabella that Catherine be taught French since that's what everybody was fluent in, not everybody was fluent in Latin. Either this would be ignored or Catherine maybe have had difficulty learning language. I'm horrible at French, so I can relate to that. But the fact that they weren't able to converse with each other except in Latin, and there was a conversational Latin, but it was a different conversational Latin depending on which country you were in. So it's like every other language, certain parts of it developed. So it
1: has evolved in different places, yeah. Yeah. And also, it doesn't seem like a very affectionate language. No, it really doesn't. I can't imagine Whispering Sweet Nothings in Latin.
0: No, no. When you think of Latin, there's not a lot of subtlety in the language, at least not what we still use now. It's very formal. Mm. And you'd be
1: thinking, oh, hang on, have I got that right? Should that be in the ablative or should that be in the... Oh, hang on a minute. Yes. (laughs) In fact, (laughs) I think the moment will have passed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Whoops. (laughs) Over the next three days after their wedding, there were celebrations nonstop, including more pageants and, of course, tournaments. Arthur was noted to be a very enthusiastic spectator. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he was not actually allowed to participate. As the honor guest, it would not have been appropriate for him to participate. Ooh. He was there to have these people do this for him. So it almost would have been rude for him to want or try to participate. But I think the enthusiasm might indicate that he was trained in it. I mean, many people who are so into sports are actually players of that sport, even recreational. Uh,
1: unless he was a frustrated jouster or whatever. And,
0: possibly, uh, like Henry was he later on. was allowed
1: to do it, so.
0: I like to think of the fact that maybe he did have fun and actually get yeah. to do some of these tournaments. I mean, he did have a tilt yard at Ludlow. Why not? Yeah. The couple remained with the king and queen for over a month before leaving Ludlow. This is the longest Arthur has spent with his family that I could find in any of the records. The poor boy. Mm. He's finally married, and now he has to stick around his parents. (laughs) The king appears to have had reservations about the two cohabitating. There was a thought that too much fornication for a young man was dangerous and could lead to death. Mm. I don't quite understand it. It had something to do with the humors and the Mm. fact that they were expelling stuff that would imbalance their humors.
1: It all sounds perfectly logical.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes. The king was persuaded by the ambassador and Catherine that they were so in love that they could not be separated and that it would also anger her parents. I have read in other books that Catherine was actually manipulated by the king to say this. We have to take this with a grain of salt. We don't know what the whole impetus was for them for the concern over them cohabitating. Mm. Once they arrived at Ludlow, the celebrations continued. Arthur had completed his first formal part of his training and can now move on to the hands on education of ruling. Now he would still have a council, but he would have to make all of the decisions and make all his own mistakes and then correct those mistakes. He's also going to have to get used to a completely new way of life. He's married. Mm-hmm. Prior to Catherine's arrival, there would have been very few women at Ludlow. Yeah, she's brought a whole load, hasn't she? Yeah, all of her Spanish ladies as well as her English ladies. I think of this as almost a crash course in how to socialize with witten for Arthur. At this point, we really find out that he was noted to be stiff and formal around the women. That may just show either how nervous he was with not having dealing with women or that he just wasn't used to women around. Like, can I, you know, you can't speak to them like you do your friends.
1: Mm. So what what do you do? What do you say?
0: Without giving offense. Yeah. Because that would have been even worse. He was taught to behave properly. If he caused offense, then he would have failed. He may have been formal, but it's noted by a number of friends that then attended his funeral, so we've got their accounts, that he was an incredibly attentive husband and did everything he could to make sure Catherine felt not only welcome, but comfortable. And to me, that sounds caring, not cold. Mm. These first months must have been a happy time for them. They seem to have been quite happy, especially with all the celebrations. The timing of their arrival meant that they were able to immediately enjoy Christmas celebrations, then followed by New Year. Although we should note that they were using a different calendar, so their New Year was March 25th. And they had extensive week-long parties for that. Late in March, illness came to Ludlow. It appears to have been an infectious disease since many people fell ill. One quote said sickness that reigned amongst them. The one author I read, Sean Cunningham, suggested that the illness may have come from the Spanish entourage. And I feel like this was likely... it seems
1: a little... Do you think so? I mean, they've already been
0: in the country several months...
1: Would it have been incubating in them for all that time?
0: We don't have much saying that the Spanish got ill.
1: Oh, so it might they might have immunity to something. Yeah. Uh,
0: it might have been something they carried. I tend to agree with this. Travel back then was, took a long time and was very hard. Diseases and illnesses mm. would have been much more localized. They would have mutated specifically in different areas that would have spread them apart so that one area wouldn't have the defenses against mutations of that illness or disease that had occurred in another area. If they came from Spain and they didn't bother going back looking at everywhere they had stopped yeah. to see if that illness followed them, they just focused on the fact that it occurred at Ludlow. So since we don't have. They
1: might have left a trail of death and destruction.
0: Possibly. It sent me down a complete rabbit hole. I would love to have seen any records of where that group stopped and had interaction with the locals if. That illness came. If we think about when Henry VII showed up with the French army. Yeah. They claimed that the sweating sickness came mm. with them. It is possible that the Spanish brought it.
1: I think the sweating sickness was around before they arrived. But I think Henry must have thought it was far better just to get rid of the troops, send them home. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's shown to be doing the right thing.
0: Mm-hmm. If we think about little kids returning to school, yes. how quickly they all get sick, yes. I think that it, it's a good possibility. Pass it on to their families. Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes through a cycle around the family.
1: <laughs> so they, um, I always assumed it was sweating sickness. So he's saying it's not, or is it Spanish variant of sweating sickness?
0: We don't know. Because he
1: died quite quickly, didn't he, I think? Didn't he get ill and die Yeah, quite shortly afterwards?
0: Only six months after the wedding, Arthur dies of this illness. Mm. April 2nd, between six and seven in the morning, one of his friends wrote it in his book of hours. There have been loads of suggestions for what killed Arthur. Tuberculosis, sweating sickness, malaria, and cancer are the top four. But there
1: would have been signs of cancer Exactly. And tuberculosis, wouldn't there, beforehand? Yes. I mean, his dad, his dad had tuberculosis, but then he was often it had bouts and bouts. A very he... sickly man,
0: yeah. And constant sore throat. Same with cancer. We have absolutely no mention of Arthur being sick earlier. And his status dictates that his health would have been top priority. And since we know that, for instance, his doctor was watching what the wet nurse was eating, there would have been accounts of his illness being sent to the king to let him know. Nothing like that was there. Also, if it had been tuberculosis or cancer, the other people either would not have gotten ill if it was cancer, or if they did, they would have remained ill for the rest of their lives for tuberculosis. Mm. And there's no mention of it. We know Catherine got gravely ill herself, but she recovered and didn't suffer from it for the rest of her life. Mm. So we're looking most likely at either sweating sickness or malaria as they have the same sort of symptoms, but the description is so vague, there's no way we can tell. The illness and death appears to have been quite rapid. You wouldn't think that it would have been tuberculosis, because mm. that takes a long time, as you were saying, to kill somebody. And
1: you've got all the symptoms there for many, many years, and people would have spotted it.
0: hmm Arthur's body was very quickly embalmed, again implying it was an infectious disease. His body was interred nearby at Worcester Cathedral. There, I didn't say Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> possibly on arthur's own instructions there is some speculation that he knew he was dying and was able to make his wishes known so
1: he wasn't laid out in state or anything he was just buried straight away no. That implies yeah
0: yeah it's also noted that the king and queen did not travel to the area to see their son's body in state which would have been a normal thing to do except that would then you
1: don't want to risk the king's health as well
0: Yes. The next son that they have is only 10 years old. They now have even more reason to keep them separate and make sure that they don't catch anything. But can you imagine being the mother or the father? But I I, I always look from the woman's point of view. But God, that must have been horrible. By the time they got the idea that Arthur was sick, they had gotten the note that he was dead. So they didn't even have time to prepare. It was just your son is gone. And then you couldn't go see the body. You couldn't say your goodbyes.
1: Well, it's been like that recently, is not it? COVID. Mm-hmm. People not being able to go to funerals. and. Yeah.
0: Arthur's childhood governess, Elizabeth Darcy, came back and attended upon Catherine and went to the funeral. I just thought that was a lovely mention. I mean, it must have shown a great affection that they had developed for her to risk that illness to come to be at his funeral. I
1: wonder if Elizabeth might have suggested to her that she did it because if elizabeth couldn't go one of them had to yes and whether she was more expendable than elizabeth say possibly but perhaps elizabeth just thought it'd be nice if somebody that loved him was there i mean that's what you you would as a mother wouldn't you
0: yeah and somebody he loved arthur's motto and his badge of silver ostrich feathers was put on his coffin Arthur was given a lavish funeral, but there was no funeral procession. This, again, could have been fear over how this could spread the illness. Also, how it could affect how people perceived the dynasty. Henry, after all, was still struggling with other claimants. Mm. Many men and boys attended the funeral. A few of the historians suggest they were; these were all Arthur's friends, but I'm not so sure. They claim that the only people who would have attended this funeral were close relationships. But your status at a funeral would dictate your role quite often. Gerald Fitzgerald, the son of the Irish Lord, mm-hmm. wore Arthur's armor on Arthur's war horse to ceremonially give it up to the tomb. But, again, historians are like, this was his best friend. In my head, I'm like, uh, was it because he was the only one that would fit in the armor?
1: It <laughs> has to be a consideration because you can't let it out or no. take it in, can you?
0: no. Yes. I think saying that that was his best friend is quite a stretch. Mm. We don't have anything in writing to say who his friends were or what their affection and level was with him. But I like to think that it was his friends. It would show that he was capable of making them and might have been Mm. a caring and kind person. There was no procession, so maybe status wasn't actually required at this funeral because nobody would have been processing. With him in their ranks order, and it was just friends?
1: Well, I suppose it was quite quick as well, wasn't it? It's very. Dead, bish-bash-bosh into the ground, so...
0: So the only people who could have been there would have been the people that yeah. were his friends or living with him at Ludlow. They don't make mention of very many other people coming from anywhere else. Yeah,
1: there's not likely to be that many people just sort of hanging around Worcester. Or <laughs> the mm-hmm. off chance, is there?
0: No. But sadly, that's the end of Arthur. He was laid to rest, and his brother took his place as the Prince of Wales. So how old is he? Fifteen. 15.
1: What a little lad. Mm. And poor well, Catherine's not well either, so it's all been a bit of a disaster.
0: Yes, very much a disaster. If only they hadn't cut the head off Edward Plantagenet. Yeah, then they would have had two heirs to the throne. And <laughs> Amphibole. This is our entry ground. How devious were they? Nothing.
1: No. <laughs> 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 I've got... unless he was deliberately calculating the um i've been in the midst of spain thing just,
0: just... E that is the only possibility yeah. is that to ensure that they didn't lose the dower mm. that he lied about consummating yes. marriage perhaps his dad
1: said either do it or say you've done it
0: don't yes. come out and say
1: well know, yeah. these things happen
0: <laughs> yeah, I was drinking a lot.
1: Yes, it's my fault, not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think it doesn't sound like he's got anything. Does no, it?
0: but I think I would give him one for that. Okay, well,
1: I'll, we'll just stick with the one. Okay.
0: Anti-peristasis. This is Rise and Fall. Did they climb or plummet? I like to think that he did rise. Normally, they wouldn't start governing their lands until they were out of their minority. And as we know from when Henry VIII still had a regency at 18, it was 18 was the expected end of minority. At 13, he was making his own decisions with his council advising him, but he was already making those decisions. When he was married at 15, he was then expected to take over completely. He was now on his own, and he was on his own ruling with Catherine for about six months. So that is earlier than was expected of anybody else at this time period. So to me, that means that he did fight for it. Mm. And that he
1: was able to do
0: it. Yeah, we don't have any examples of it going catastrophically wrong. Even at 13, we have nothing saying that things went hugely wrong, or even minorly wrong, which to me sounds like he was quite successful at it. Hmm. But that is all I have.
3: Yeah. I mean, the trouble
1: is, if you're born, if you're born as a prince, you're not going There's it? not far to go up, is there? Because you're already a prince, and he didn't go down, apart from the fact that he died very young.
0: Yeah, but he didn't die because somebody put him to death, so even no. then it's not really a fall. Mm. It's just sad.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 hard it's hard if you if, if you're born to the top. Mhm. There's less maneuver. Um yeah, I'll give him one for for being obviously good at the job at a young age.
0: Same here. So that is a 2 for Antiparastasis.
3: Maodo
0: Martyrdom. How far were they willing to go? Nothing. No. Absolutely nothing. No. We don't even know what he stood for, let alone if he was willing to fight for it.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's difficult when you don't know them as people.
0: No.
3: Nope. Sorry.
0: Yeah, that's a zero for me, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like to think that there are records out there, we just haven't gotten to them. Mm. Because we have other things that are being found.
3: Be team.
0: Be team. This is our posterity round. What did they leave behind that still resonates today? Arthur's death left a hole that opened way for his brother to become infamous. His marriage to Catherine could be seen as the impetus for the Reformation. Yeah. His death also was yeah. one of the reasons why Henry was so obsessed with getting an heir.
1: Yes, but all of those things are almost
0: negations of,
1: of Arthur, aren't they? The fact that he, he's dying was responsible for something. Yeah. His yeah, his marriage to Catherine affected Henry's marriage to Catherine. He's he's very much in his brother's shadow. Well, I suppose all kings are in his brother's shadow. Yes, and I think lots of people. Everyone's heard of Henry VIII. I don't think that many people know about Arthur. No. Yeah, I'll give him a one. It is hard, yes, because his marriage to Catherine kicked off so much controversy.
0: Yeah, it had huge ramifications.
1: And it's still there. I'm going to give him a two because the
0: controversy is still there. Although, Although it's not really his... I was going to give him a three because of that wedding and because it gave Henry the reason to apply for a divorce and then pull himself away from the Pope. Ultimately, that oh. night and their marriage made England Protestant, and it's still Protestant. So I'm going oh. to give him a three. It wasn't directly him, but it had a huge ramification. Yeah.
1: Okay, I've got, I've got me two.
0: Flaunt a bleeding and Flaunt. Flaunt a Flaunt. This is our portraiture round.
3: I, something occurred
1: to me that we've never explained the, mar- the marking for Flaunt a Flaunt, that we mark it ten, ten points each and then halve it. I mean, it's probably fairly obvious, but I don't think we ever actually explained it.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought we mentioned that in the first one.
1: I'm not sure. Anyway, it's worth reiterating. It's not that complicated, but uh, in case people are thinking, what? Yeah.
0: Okay, I'm going to share my window so you can see the one and only portrait of Arthur. And the reason why I said more will come up is because this was Mm. actually found quite late. It was discovered. All of the rest of the portraits of him we're not going to look at because they're all apparently a copy of this original,, mm. so this is what we've got of Arthur. He's either thirteen or fourteen at the time. Do you want to describe it? Yeah, he's
1: a very fresh-faced young lad, isn't he? very innocent mm-hmm. looking, quite a sort of overly face, um hair cut in a sort of I don't know what you call that a bob
0: yeah, the typical Tudor Bob, Yeah.
1: um, wild beautiful hat a bit like a beret with three pearls. Some very luscious clothes there—a sort of velvety waistcoat thing,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and a very beautifully painted um, jacket. Yeah, that looks like damask to me. Mm. Lined with fur of some sort. Not not. Yeah. Yeah. But a similar framing of the picture of, of um, Henry the Seventh, where he's got his hands actually over the. Bottom of the frame. He's got his hands rest, resting. Yeah, he's got his hands resting on the bottom of the frame.
0: Yeah, you almost think it's the same artist. And the flower that he's holding has been suggested to be the Lancastrian rose, the white rose. Oh, right. Okay. Or was York the white rose? York.
1: York was the white rose, yeah.
0: Yes.
3: Hmm. And he's got some sort of pendant round his neck. Mm hmm. That is. I don't either. Heavily jeweled. Hmm. But then that's what you'd expect, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's a nice picture. I like
1: that picture. And he does... He looks like a boy. I mean, they haven't tried to make him anything more than he he is, haven't they? They haven't aged him. No.
0: He doesn't look... To me, he doesn't come across as cold. He's got a slight smile oh. on his face.
1: Mind you, it is that look, isn't it, that we've come across with Jasper and... Um, yeah. Henry VI, it's a bit winsome. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It doesn't tell us much, though, does it? No. Apart from the the flower. I mean, why is it a, a white York rose rather than the, the Tudor rose?
0: I think that had to be Henry's touch to show that he was still uniting them. Mm. That he represented the York as well as the Lancastrians. So we've got a bit of... Symbolism. Symbolism.
3: Yeah. I like that. It's nice. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Me too. Yeah. i what to give it though.
1: Because you can't read too much into it. can you? I mean, apart from the rose, there's nothing nothing to tell us anything about him.
0: No. I'll give it a f- five. Me too. <laughs> so that's a five for Flaunt of Flaunt, giving us a total for Arthur. Thirteen?
3: I make thirteen. Yes, thirteen. So a total of thirteen.
0: Hmm
1: a huge amount but then i mean he's he's a victim of the fact that we've chosen completely random
3: categories
0: yes
1: <laughs> right we've got decisions to make
3: are they delicious or what
0: yes so what do you think for Tudorlicious?
1: well by the sound of it he'd have make it, made a damn sight better king than his brother did
0: yes he was definitely better trained
1: Yes, I mean, that wasn't Henry's fault. And he was, well, possibly, saner. (laughs) I suppose we don't know that. he might have been even worse. Um, I mean, it's so diff He sounds as if he was doing really well, Mm -hmm. but then he was cut off at the age of 15. Yeah. Which, I think I'm going to have to say no. Oh! Because it seems awful saying, well, he died too young. But he died before he got going as a as a king. So we yeah. just don't know. I mean, he might have been the best king we've ever had. He might have been a complete non-entity, and apart from the fact he'd been yeah. called King Arthur, which would have been great. Um, yeah. We just, don't, there's too many don't knows.
0: I'm so torn. I Reading about him, I came to quite like his story. Just the fact that he took on... All those responsibilities at such a young age, and we don't Mm. have anything saying that he was horrible at it. So he must have been good. Mm. Otherwise, it would have been, you know, comments about maybe him not knowing the difference between a goose and a capon. The amount of stuff that he was required to learn, and the Mm. fact that they felt he successfully completed that by fifteen, just indicates an intelligence that had to be impressive.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. It's. It's. I think this is the hardest one, actually. I mean, others, it's been, well, apart from Jasper, it's been...
0: Fairly easy. Definitely,
1: or or definitely not. Yeah. But this one, I think, be rating him on um,
0: on potential. Rather than what he actually did.
1: Yes. And we don't actually know the potential. I mean, it looks, it looks good so far, mm-hmm. but we don't. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. So you want to give it to him, do you?
0: Emotionally, <laughs> yes. Logically, no. <laughs> when it comes down to it.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's how I felt about uh, Jasper, yes.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to have to be a no. He didn't mm. accomplish anything great in his lifetime. He possibly could have, but we can't give we can't give them kudos on something that never occurred. Yes. I mean, he,
1: he wasn't given a chance. No, he wasn't. Mm. I mean, it's a sad story. They just got married. Yeah. They always appeared to be very happy with each other. And he seemed to be on the rise. but yeah. no, no, I'm sorry, Arthur. This is another one we're going to feel guilty about putting the booing in.
0: Yeah, we really do need to have some sort of woman <laughs> weeping or wailing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Arthur. You do not get the Tudorlicious.
1: Yeah. Mind you, if he had become king... And he been a really good, decent, sensible, mm-hmm. rational king, would have missed out on so many stories.
0: <laughs> we would have. Yeah. A lot fewer people would have died, though, you would think. It would. A lot fewer
1: people would be interested in the Tudors as well. <laughs> Very true.
0: Very true. Okay. Do you want to pull my next person? I'm pretty excited. I have the box. Okay. <laughs> I'm
1: making the fan <laughs> <laughs> Right, here it is. Okay. And it is... Ah. Sir Edward Poynings. Okay, I don't. Are you thinking who the hell's
0: that? <laughs> I kind of am. I don't, when I was, this is not somebody I added. Who is he? Do we know? Yes, he's everywhere. Okay.
1: Yeah, when I was working out Henry's route through Wales before the Battle of Bolesworth, I was doing little biographies about all the people that he picked up along the way or took with him, and when I started to write Edward Poynings, it went on and on he's okay. absolutely everywhere so i thought he'd be an interesting one to sort of scoop up so many of the events of henry's reign he had his finger at okay. every pie hmm. he should be a good one to, to show all the major points of henry's reign that'll be good we'll leave it for next time
3: so
1: okie dokie that is the end of our episode on arthur prince of wales we hope you've enjoyed it and we will join us for the next episode on john cabot thank you for listening
0: you can find details of the podcast on
2: tudorforestwoodpress.com email tudorforest@
1: In the meantime, sound drums and trumpets boldly and cheerfully. God and St. George, Richmond, and victory.
0: A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. (laughs) Goodbye. (gasps) Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun to say, I don't know why.
2: Some time ago, they dressed me up, made me lie in bed. And now I hear them down below, singing body songs about newlyweds. As I lay here in the dark, my racing thoughts full of fear and dread. This is the night, so I am told that I say goodbye to my maidenhead now i can hear footsteps they are getting louder come in close i can hear their laughter a crowd of drunken men come bursting through my door in my silent room there's complete uproar prince arthur is placed next to me i lie so still feeling so intense priest arrives to bless our union holy water and a cloud of incense everyone is leaving now they are whispering they are muttering Arthur and I, we lie here staring into dark candles stuttering. What is that that I hear? What is that sound? Like a pagan man that is being drowned. I look over to my love, to my chagrin. I see his eyes tight shut and his mouth hanging open. A trail of drool Slides from his mouth And across his cheeks His hair is plastered To his forehead He belches loudly And his breath reeks His sweaty body Twitches and thrashes His arms flail round As if fighting off a bird I turn my back But I can't sleep As he cries out words His voice all slurred When he wakes up He can't look at me Saddles out of bed Says I need a pain After farting all night And snoring like a train I hear boast I have been this night in the midst of Spain and that's why I can say your highness when you hadn't yet the first I take God to be